You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Now, I want you to, to think with me a little bit here this morning. And... Um, Think back to a time where you enjoyed a dinner invitation. One of those those moments that were just kind of a really sweet moment around a table. As I chewed on it this week, I I had a few actually come to to mind. Uh, One of my favorite experiences over the years is Susan and I, uh, we had the opportunity, we were living in Ottawa at the time, and uh, we were going to visit one of our church planters uh, in Montreal. And as we got to Montreal, uh, this couple said, hey, come with us. We're going to take you to this little, just this little bistro right in the heart of Montreal. He says, we're getting to know the chef there. I don't know how many stars. I think there were a few stars around his name, whatever it was, but he was a top-notch chef. So we go, we sit down, the, the, the hostess had given us menus, and the chef comes out, and he says, no, 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 no. And he just takes the menus right away from us, and he says, I will cook for you tonight. I will say, one of the best meals I've ever had, I gotta be honest though, except when the octopus came out. Does anyone here like octopus? Yeah, there we go, couple. First hour, all kinds of hands shot up. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I have some opinions on that. But anyways, um, yeah, those little tentacles looking back at you. I don't know. But anyhow, great, great experience. I got thinking of another time. Uh, where my family and I, we had opportunity. We were over in Europe, and we were doing some ministry with uh, mission couples. And we happened to be there over New Year's Eve. And so we found ourselves in the little town. It's actually just a little village of St. Albain, France. And we were, we were being hosted by the, this uh, mission group. And uh, they, they functioned out of uh, the Les Chateaux. And it was this beautiful, beautiful, hundreds and hundreds of years old stone castle-looking building. We got to celebrate New Year's Eve. And we had a wonderful time around that, around that table. Um, one of my favorite, too, this one looked a lot different, but it was very much because of the, the crowd we got to hang out with. On my very first trip to, to Africa, I went to the Central African Republic, and a lot of our trip was spent going around to the different orphanages. Our, our church at that time was sponsoring and supporting and, and helping, and I remember we got invited to have lunch with about 40, 50 orphans. Never forget it. One of the most moving experiences of my life to sit in this place that kind of had walls, kind of had a roof, uh, some cooking taking place, an outside fire. And, and we just sat on the, the, the dirt floor with, with the orphans and uh, we, we had a meal together. One of the most beautiful, exciting experiences of my life. I, I mean, I'll shoot straight, picked up a parasite because of that lunch, carried with me for a few weeks. But Still one of my favorite, one of my favorite experiences. What about you? Can you think of a time in your life where you were able to receive an invitation to come sit at a table and just enjoy, enjoy a meal together? I'm hopeful you have some sort of a memory like that in your heart and life. But today we want to look at a particular story from the Old Testament, a story of a king, a king who had a table and invited one of the most unexpected guests we would ever imagine. And what we're going to see this morning is through the invitation of this king to this unexpected guest, we're going to see today this beautiful picture of what God has done for us in and through Christ Jesus by giving us a seat at his table because of the work Jesus has done on our behalf. So take your Bibles with me. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9 today. 2 Samuel chapter 9. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. 
If you need a Bible, uh, there should be one in the chair in front of you. I believe it's page 243. You can look there, but get, get in your Bibles, get on your tablets, your phones, whatever it is. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We read of the king's kindness towards an unexpected guest. Follow along as I read. And David said, chapter 9, verse 1, David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? As I said, it's, it's this idea of loving kindness, grace, mercy, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show, and here's this word again, show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makur, the son of Emil at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and get this last line now, and you shall eat at my table always. Love that. Love that phrase. Love that phrase. Verse 8. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, again, we see this phrase, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's household became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate what? He ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this historical account within your word. We thank you for the truth that we will be able to experience, see today with our own eyes, Lord, this, this reminder that you are a God who is good. You, you love to show your kindness towards us. Encourage us with that truth today. Holy Spirit, would you take the word of God, apply it to our hearts, that we would leave here today knowing We've been together in your presence. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have here the history of King David, don't we? And David, if you know King David's history throughout, especially here in, in Samuel, it, it was a bit up and down. There, there were some really good days for King David, and there were some days that weren't so good for King David. But here we see royal power returning good where there had been evil, giving mercy and kindness where actually judgment was warranted. And as we come to this story here in 2 Samuel 9 and we look at the life of King David in this particular moment, I want us to see past that. Yes, this is a good and truthful historical account, but I need us to see past it today. We want to see in this account a picture. It's, it's a foreshadowing of God's grace, God's kindness that we experience in Christ Jesus. As we look upon David on his throne, we today also look to God on his throne. And just as David showed loving kindness to Mephibosheth, we want to see God's kindness towards us. 
in dealing with us as sinners. And so as we come to the first few verses, one through three, here's the first picture I want us to get. It's a picture of God's grace towards the sinner. A picture of God's grace towards the sinner. The first thing we see is David's initiative. We see that right there in verse one, right? And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Because he wants to show kindness towards them. And so understand this. Saul, had formerly been king of Israel, became the arch enemy of David, tried to kill David numerous times. And as David ascended to the throne, the descendants of Saul were either killed in battle, killed through the transition, or they were in hiding. No descendant of Saul would dare approach the king, would dare ask King David for anything. As we'll see in this story, they're hiding out. They're, they're, they're laying low all throughout the kingdom. And so what we see here is not one of the descendants of Saul going, ah, I'd like to live a little better life. They're in hiding. David says, I want to know something. I want to know if there's anyone related, tied to Saul, that I can show kindness to. I love that. That's what God does for us. He takes the initiative. And the object, as we've already discussed, of David's pursuit is, is this foe. It's a descendant of Saul. David says, and the motive of my initiation, the motive of my actions is that for the sake of Jonathan, I want to show kindness. Now, Jonathan, as we're going to see in a few moments, was Mephibosheth's father. King Saul's son, Mephibosheth's father. And a good friend of David before he was king. If you go back to 1 Samuel 20, we read this in 1 Samuel 20, verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And so Jonathan, as King Saul's son, had acted often as a mediator between King Saul and David, thus sparing David's life and allowing David to live. And the two of them together, they, they made a covenant. And that covenant, that, that promise to be kind to one another, to care for one another, it would also go between his offspring and David's offspring forever. And so one of the first things we see in these first few verses is David, he's taking this initiative and he's calling servants and he's saying, hey, Ziba, hey, others, does anyone know, does anyone know if King Saul, through Jonathan, is there anyone left that is alive? Now, some of the servants may be going, well, I wonder why he's asking that question, but David is very clear. It's because he wants to show kindness to them. I love this picture for us, even here today. It's really, in David, we see this incredible picture of God's grace towards us. It's this incredible picture of, of God's redemptive love found in Christ Jesus towards us. The, the, the word that is used throughout this chapter is the Hebrew word hesed. It's where we get the, the phrase kindness or loving kindness. It speaks to the depth of God's love and his grace and his mercy for us. And David says, I want to take this initiative and I want to take this first step towards an undeserving one. And I want to show them kindness. You see, it's really a picture of God's grace towards us as sinners. God's loving kindness towards us. It's him who pursues us. Bible talks and tells us that, that we're like sheep without a shepherd. We're, we're sheep who have gone astray. There's, there's nothing good in us that would bring us into right relationship with the God of the universe. And left to ourselves, we're dead in our sins, the Bible tells us. And yet God, God in his love 
for his son, Christ Jesus, our mediator, and his love for us as human beings, he says, I'm going to take the first step. And that first step is so clearly seen in the incarnation of Christ. He willingly leaves the glories of heaven, takes on flesh, and what? Steps into humanity so that he could show forth the loving kindness of God. It's really a picture of God's grace towards us as sinners. Good quote from W.E. Vine says this, the gospel of God's grace is not seeking those who have something of their own to commend them unto the Lord, nor does it offer salvation in return for service to be rendered afterwards. I love this next line. It's inestimable riches are for worthless wretches, spiritual paupers, lost and undone sinners. That's who we are. And yet God in his grace pursues us. He takes the initiative. And that's what we see in the first three verses. David saying, is there not someone, verse three, that I can show God's kindness to? Now, it's really important, though, we understand that as we think about God's grace towards us as sinners, I really want us to take a few moments, though, and consider the plight of us as sinners. It's really important to remember, sometimes, sometimes we've been following Jesus for quite a while, and we tend to forget how dire our situation was, just how messed up we really were. So let's look for a few moments at the plight of the sinner. It's interesting. In, in verse 6, we're introduced to the name of Jonathan's son, and it's Mephibosheth. Now, if any of you are here this morning and you're about to give birth to a son, I really want to encourage you. Don't call him Mephibosheth. You say, why? That's kind of a cool name, right? Got Mephib running around. Listen, the name literally means a shameful thing. And back in these Bible times, the names really carried a lot of weight in that it really described kind of who that person was. And in this case, we're introduced to this descendant of Saul, son of Jonathan, whose name means literally a shameful thing. You know, let me encourage, like go with Timothy. Timothy means God honoring, right? Like honoring God. There's a good one. But Mephibosheth. But I really believe it's purposeful because it reminds us, again, without Christ Jesus, left to ourselves, left in and of our own sin. We, we bring nothing before a holy God other than our polluted, shameful, sinful self. As we jump back to verses 4 and 5, we, we're introduced to, Ziba says to the king, that there's, there's this one descendant and he's left. And he's in this particular household and he's in the town of Lodabar. And eventually finds out, right, that the son is, is crippled. You say, well, how did this happen? Well, let's just jump back. In 2 Samuel 4, 4, should be on the screen here. We read, we read a little... Excuse me, read a little bit about Mephibosheth's history. We read this. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was just five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And so Mephibosheth is five years old. The, the, the Israel army had been fighting a battle. And in that battle, they suffered tremendous loss. And both King Saul and Jonathan perish. And we're told that as that news came, his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and he became lame. And his name was a shameful thing, Mephibosheth. And so we have this young boy grows into a young man by the time this story is, is accounted to us. 
But what we really see is because of this young man's last name, so to speak, because of whom he belonged to as far as his family, he was totally separated now from the king. Totally separated from the king. And there was nothing in him that could have him hanging out with the king. And that's why we find him in Lodabar. Tiny, obscure village. We find him literally hiding out. No intention whatsoever of ever going to the king. He's separated from the king. And there's our story. There's our plight as well as sinners. As those who have offended a holy God in and through ourselves and our behaviors and our attitudes. We are separated from the king. Living in, we'll unpack this in a moment, but living in the Lodabar that is this world. And we're told in 2 Samuel 4 that he's been dropped and he's lame in both his feet, as we read at the very end of this chapter. He was lame in both his feet. Mephibosheth, even if he wanted to go be in the presence of the king, could not take himself there. He needed someone to take him to the king. And again, it's this visual picture, right, of our inability. Even if we have a desire to go and approach a holy God, we can't do it in and of ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We can't forgive our own sin. We can't do anything to bring us back into relationship with the King of Kings. We need someone to call, someone to carry us, someone to rescue us. It's true if you read back in Genesis and the creation, right? God didn't intend for it to be this way. He created male, female, Adam, Eve, and they enjoyed perfect union and fellowship with God. And then they disobeyed. And thus begins the story of humanity where all of us as human beings separated from a holy God because of our own sinfulness. We are spiritually lame and cannot carry ourselves back to a holy God. That is our plight. That is our story as human beings. And to really emphasize that point, we're told there in verse 4 and again mentioned in verse 5 that Mephibosheth, a shameful thing, is hiding out in Lodabar. Here's another interesting little tidbit. Lodabar carries with it the idea of a place of no pasture. Place of no pasture. Sheep need a pasture, and this is a place of no pasture. Doesn't it so aptly portray the world in which we live? It really portrays the world in which we live. A world that provides no spiritual food for the soul. So much of our life we feel as though it's, it's living in the load to bar of this world. A.W. Pink put it this way. He said, load to bar is written across all the varied fields of the world. Though the great masses of people realize it not. Multitudes are seeking to find something to fill that void in the heart which God alone should occupy. They seek satisfaction in endless rounds of pleasure, and yet no soul satisfaction is found in the things which will, per- which will perish. This is the plight of the sinner. We are lost unable to carry ourselves into the presence of the king and left living in the Lodabar that is this world. I mean, think about it for a few moments. Think about the Lodabar that is this world. Many of you know, and we, we want to thank you as a family, many of you have been praying for my, my mom, but tomorrow will be three weeks in the hospital. ICU, part of it. And so for almost three weeks straight, every day, walking the hallways of a hospital, 
I couldn't help this week but think, right? Lodabar. It's Lodabar. It's Lodabar. I mean, all you got to do is put the news, watching the news fairly late last night, put it on. Shouldn't do this just before bed. I know better, but I did it anyways. And there's the war in Ukraine raging, right? And all around this battle in this one city. And you're looking at the, you're literally just looking at what was a city now in absolute ruins. And all I could think about was Lodabar. Lodabar. Recently have some, some missionary friends who just returned from a trip to Uganda. They had the opportunity to visit a number of churches and they, they participated and some baptisms were happening in this, this one church. And they were baptizing these young, young ladies who had been rescued from a cult in which they had been used as sexual slaves. And you're just thinking to yourself, Lodabar, Lodabar, these places of no pasture. And I'm sure it doesn't take you long to think about some of the low-debar moments of your own life. Those places where it just feels like it's destitute and hopeless. And here's the reality. If I were to stop right here and now and say, that's all I've got, that is incredibly hopeless. Incredibly hopeless. If I stop right now, the only thing I got for you at the moment <laughs> is you are a sinner, separated from a holy God, unable to carry yourself to him, and so you're stuck forever living in Lodabar. I mean, that would be a pretty miserable way to end it all. And yet, how many people even in your sphere of influence are still living their lives that way each and every day? It's off track a little bit, but church, we have a mission before us, don't we? We gotta be serious about that. Can't get all wrapped up in the things inside. There, there's, a, there's a mission field called Lodabar right outside our doors in our own families. We gotta be serious about it. But here's the good news. That's not where the story stops. As the story continues and we see King David's response, oh, some exciting stuff is coming. You ready? All right. Well, I'm ready. So here we go. I remember uh, I wrote this down years ago, and it was just in some, some notes, and I happened to find it. But another missionary friend of ours, name was Laura Callahan. They served in Africa for many years. But I remember this quote she shared once when she was sharing some of their, their stories. And she wrote this. They'd come back from a really difficult season in the field where they had seen a lot of kind of low-to-bar moments, right? And I remember, I always remember this, struck me, wrote it down. She goes, I'm overwhelmed, not so much that evil exists. And this is where we're going with the story. I'm overwhelmed, not so much that evil exists, but that there is grace big enough to redeem it and mercy available for all who desire it. Which really leads us to the next picture. And so, yes, there's, there's, there's a plight for us as sinners. And if we were to leave it there, it is hopeless. But I want us to see now in verses 6, 7, and 8, a beautiful invitation and response. A picture of the invitation and response that takes place within this account. I love right at the beginning of verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, paid homage, and David said, of all the things David could have said, David just simply says, Mephibosheth. And I love that. David takes the initiative, goes out, finds a descendant of Saul. He says, invite him into the palace. And the very first thing he does is not berate him for being Saul's kid or blah, blah, blah. He just simply says, Mephibosheth. I love that. He extends the invitation to come up out of Lodabar. And as Mephibosheth approaches and falls before the king, the king just simply calls him by name. And what I love about that is it reminds me of this truth. The king of kings knows your name. And as he invites you to his table, 
he does so with a personal invitation. Think about that. When you get a Denver, when you get a dinner invitation, there's something really special about getting a personal invitation, isn't there? Not just, hey, having a picnic, everybody come. It's Tim, come to my table. Fill in your name. Come to my table. I love that the King David calls him by name. And as we come to verse 7, we see grace extended. Now, Mephibosheth, rightfully so, he was, a, he was a little terrified at this point, trying to figure out what was going on. King found him in this obscure place. He knows his family history, knows that this might not turn out too well. Lame in both his feet, so there's no running away here. David just simply says, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth says, behold, in verse 7, I am your servant. I love these words in verse 7. David said to him, do not fear. Why? For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Wow. Like, wow. Mephibosheth comes and he's expecting punishment. David says, you don't need to worry. You come. I'm going to show you kindness because of who your father was. You can eat at my table for the rest of your life, Mephibosheth. I mean, think about that for a moment. That's what God does for us. He says, you come up out of the Lodabar that is this world, and you come with all of your shame, all of your sin, all of your brokenness, and we have no other response but to fall before the king. He says, for all who will come, for all who will believe, for all who will call upon the name of Jesus. He says, you, you get to experience my kindness, my grace, my love, my mercy. You, he says, Tim, put your own name in there. You will eat at my table always. I mean, what a powerful picture we see here. It's the invitation of Jesus even today. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope your heart is stirred here. I hope this isn't falling just on, I've heard this before. Understand how desperate you were, how desperate you still are to experience the loving kindness of a Savior day in and day out and the privilege and the joy of sitting at his table. But maybe there are some here today and you've never received or heard, or accepted the invitation of God. And his invitation is this to you today. Yes, you are a sinner, the Bible says. Yes, you have disappointed and you have disobeyed a holy God, your creator God. And yes, you are living in the Lodabar that is this world, and as you dwell in Lodabar, understand you are separated from the God who sits on his throne. Creator of all. But today he's saying to you, I want you to experience my loving kindness. I want you to experience my mercy, my grace. I want you to come up out of the Lodabar of this world and come into my presence, humble yourself, and receive by faith the invitation. You say, what's the invitation? The invitation is to come, to turn from your sin, repent of your sin, the Bible says, and then call upon the name of Jesus. Call upon the name of Jesus, believing that as he went to the cross, he made payment for your sin. He paid the bill. He paid the bill so you could come to this dinner table. 
And all you need to do is receive it. Turn from the low to bar that is your life, that is this world. Come to the King of Kings, King Jesus, and receive the gift of salvation he offers up by faith. You say, do I got to work for it? Do I got to do this? Do I gotta... Mephibosheth brought absolutely nothing but his lame, broken self. He was received at the king's table as the king showed him such grace. And his simple, humble response there in verse 8 is, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? That's the humility. We come to the king recognizing we live in the low debar of this world. We bring nothing but our broken selves. And there at the king's table, we find King Jesus. And as we humble ourselves before him, he says, you, you, you come and you sit at my table now and always. Can I just say this? So this really struck me this week. I, I really got chewing on this this week. I, I grew up in a, in a home where I've spent majority of my life inside church walls. Heard many, many a, a messages throughout my life from the word of God and on salvation and grace and, and all that stuff. And I'll be honest with you, I had a real season in life where it, it was truth in my head, but it hadn't really touched my heart. Back in early 2017, I still remember the day very clearly that I ended up laying in an emergency room in Hamilton with significant chest pains, rushed me right in. They don't fool around. My age, you don't, they don't fool around. Susan was still checking me in, and I remember just being, you know, put you down on a table, they literally rip your shirt open, start sticking all kinds of stuff to you. And I remember the nurse leaving, and I remember just being there by myself, probably about a couple, but probably not that long, but it felt like forever. But just, just laying there, and in that moment, not sure what was going on, quickly realized, right, all of my work, all of my energies, all of my self-righteousness, all the, the casualness about this following Jesus, that, boy, kind of just went all out the window at that moment. What really mattered in that moment was whether or not I had received the invitation to sit at the table, Realizing I, in that moment of absolute brokenness and weakness, this, this reminder that I, I don't bring a thing. I don't bring a thing but my messed up self. But God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, his kindness towards us is so great. I tell you, it was a real turning point in my life. Truth about God's grace, salvation, it, it moved from here to here. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been doing this pastor thing for a while, and I think for far too many of us, we've been in the church for so long that these truths about God's grace and his love and his kindness towards us, we, we know it up here. But has it really sunk in here? You say, what do you mean? To, well, if it really did, our worship of him, our behaviors, our actions, they, they wouldn't be out of just a sense of duty. They would be out of a sense of, I'm so moved day in and day out that a dead dog such as I could receive and experience such kindness, such grace, such mercy. I get to sit at the king's table that ought to do something right here. So much more than just a mental exercise. I'm reminded of Titus 3 where it says this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, 
slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the invitation of God, and there is our response that we come and we fall and we humble ourselves before him. God has shown us such kindness in Christ Jesus. He desires to make you clean today and he extends that invitation again today. There is nothing righteous we bring. We can only come in humility and by faith receive the gift of eternal life and a seat at the table with King Jesus. Some of you, maybe for the first time, you need to do that today. You need to repent, and you need to turn towards Jesus, and by faith, receive that gift of salvation. Let me just finish with this thought. We not only see the invitation and our response to it, but we see an incredible picture of the promise. Remember where we were. We were Lodabar. We were the Mephibosheth's shameful things. And as you look at the last few verses of this chapter, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, we get this picture painted for us of the life Mephibosheth would now live. The first thing we say is there was actually life. Mephibosheth could have just as easily died that day because of his name, but he lives. He's granted life. And it's true for us when we accept the invitation of King Jesus to come to his table. We come out of the Lodabar. We bring our shame, our sin, and our guilt. And as we trust him to save us, he says, you now have life. Life eternal. We see there's peace. Mephibosheth terrified to be before the king and David's words to him. He calls him by name and he says, do not fear. Mephibosheth could have peace as he experienced the kindness of the king. And for you and I today, the only way, the only way we have peace in relationship with our holy God is because we've been reconciled to him through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's the only way we have peace with God. But as you accept that invitation and you come to the table, there is now peace. Peace between you and a holy God because of what Christ Jesus has done. We see here in, in verse 9 and 10 that all that belonged to Saul and to his house given to his master's grandson... There's inheritance. Mephibosheth living in Lodabar, hiding out in Lodabar, this obscure place. And now all of a sudden, he's been given an estate. What an inheritance from Lodabar to a thriving estate. The Bible teaches us as we accept the invitation of the king to come to his table. Bible says you're now a joint heir with Jesus. That's incredible. It's incredible. Not only that, David says, hey, Ziba, go, here's the estate. Go take care of it. Why? Verse 10, sons, your servants, till the land for him, shall bring in the produce. Why? So that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. Day in, day out, there was a daily provision. There's daily provision, a daily portion. As we accept the invitation of Jesus to come to his table, understand there is a daily portion. His mercies are new every day. His grace is sufficient for today. His faithfulness is true today, tomorrow, and for decades to come, as long as you walk this earth. There is a daily portion 
that we enjoy as we've been invited to sit at this table. And not only that, I mean, think about this. There is an honored position. From Lodabar, not just into the palace, but you get a seat with Jesus. Mephibosheth, numerous times, I think it's three times it's mentioned throughout this, for he ate always at the king's table, for he ate always at the king's table. You receive that invitation of Jesus to come to his table to place your life in him. Again, taken from Lodabar, a shameful thing, into the presence of the king because he paid the bill. And he says, you now have an honored position with me. He was not an alien or a stranger. He was a son. We are sons and daughters of the king. 1 John 3, 1. Love this verse. How great is the love the Father has lavished, lavished, lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. Mm. Had this poem shared with me this week and I wanted to read it for you because I think it sums up well. And in a few moments, we're gonna partake together of the Lord's Supper. I think it ties in beautifully with what we've been talking about here today. This poem's called Grace in a Barren Place. It says this, I was that Mephibosheth, crippled by my twisted pride, hiding from you in a barren place where you could not find me, where you would not give me what I deserved. But somehow you found me. And I don't understand why, but you give me what I do not deserve. You not only spared my desolate life, but you made it bountiful. And here at your table, I will thank you, my king. It's our story. That's our story. If you are here today and you have trusted Jesus to be your Savior, that is your story. If you're here today and you've not trusted Jesus to be your Savior, I want to encourage you, take that step today. Look at all that is promised and available in Him. So that's the invitation. And that would be my question to each of you here today. Do you have a seat at the table? Do you? Because if you don't, you're going to be stuck living in the low to bar that is this world, fighting and clinging and trying to grind your way through it. And you don't need to. This beautiful invitation has been given this morning to turn to Jesus, accept the gift of salvation he offers. Because he paid the bill there on the cross as he laid down his life, as he shed his blood to make payment for our sin, was dead, buried, but rose again, teaches us, shows us that he paid the price and now we can have life in him. Do you have a seat at his table today? I hope so. But this also struck me this week. And again, it, it speaks to the mission speaks to what we got to be serious about, church family. We all have people in our lives, family members, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, siblings, neighbors, co-workers. There are people who are stuck living in the low to bar that is this world, dying in their sin and shame. And they need to hear the invitation this week. How dare we keep it to ourselves? We must be willing to regularly invite others to consider Jesus and the invitation he is giving. 
Like I said, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together here in a moment. But I want you really to think about the sacrifice Jesus has made on your behalf. I, right? Whenever you have dinner, what comes after dinner? Don't say dessert, because that's not what I'm after. What comes after a real nice dinner somewhere in a restaurant is the bill. Right? How quickly a lovely evening can just go to when you get the bill, right? Jesus paid the bill. Jesus paid the bill. He said, you can come to my table, dwell in my presence, experiencing the blessing of being a child of mine because Jesus paid the bill. And the Bible teaches us that there is coming a day where there will be something called the wedding supper, the wedding supper of the Lamb, where followers of Jesus from throughout history will gather together around the table. And we gather at that table and we do so with joy and life, with hearts full of gratitude. Why? Because the king at the head of the table paid the bill. He paid the bill. What an incredible sacrifice. I'd also encourage us to live with anticipation. In Matthew 26, Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples. And he says to them, I will not drink of the vine of, of, of this, the cup of this vine. And he says, I won't do it until I come again. And so part of even us participating in the Lord's Supper here today is to remind ourselves that there is coming a day, a day we anticipate with great joy where we will eat and drink and be with Jesus around the table. Yes, we experience many temporal blessings as his people, as his followers, but let us live as citizens of heaven with this hopeful anticipation of what is to come.